0: Hey guys, uh, welcome back. Another podcast episode here. This is a episode that we did with a friend of ours, Nick Larson, from the Birdshot podcast. If you're not following or listening to that podcast, I highly recommend it. It's one of my, I would say, favorites Um, over the last few years. I've gotten a lot of information listening to that. He's got some really good guests on it and Um, brings a lot of information to the listeners so that's one thing I definitely would recommend this second episode that we did with him we focused more on talking about Makina um, our setter and some of the some of the progress updates of of how our first at that point it was about a year and a half of training had gone so I really enjoyed it it was a a great conversation if you missed the first episode um, look back it's episode 218 we spent the time uh talking primarily about flushing dogs in that in that conversation. But uh, this one, we've, we've, we shift gears a little bit, talk English setters, we talk Makina, um, and we, we focus a little bit more on the upland stuff. So enjoy. As always, guys, I appreciate your support with this podcast. If you would, do us a favor and like or share or leave a review. It just helps us with gaining uh, traction as far as organically getting in front of those who this podcast might be helpful for. And that's ultimately what our goal is. So appreciate your help, guys. Um, We'll continue doing these and enjoy this one with Nick Larson from the Birdshot podcast.
1: Rolling again on the birdshot podcast welcome back to the show jeremy it hasn't been too long since we last spoke no no it hasn't thank you for having me back man i appreciate it (laughs) yeah absolutely it was it was great to have you on initially and and listeners got to know you a little bit we're gonna we're gonna kind of get right to business today but anything anything new uh since we since we last chatted i I mean hunting season is a month closer that's that's always a bonus
0: Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, we can get the dogs in the woods a little bit now. So that's always nice. It's a little, it's been a little hot for me, but, um, and just where we're at with our training, I'm not quite, quite putting her in the woods yet, but we'll talk about that. But, um, no, every, you know, you get these milestones in the summer. So July 15th is one where now we can go in the woods again. So, um, we're getting close.
1: Yeah. Yep. That is a, that is a nice, nice milestone to hit. We know we're, we know we're inching closer and closer. It's, it's like you say, it's kind of uh around here, like in this part of the world, do you really want to go out and, right. and yes, I do want to get on wild birds, but the woods are, the woods are not the most fun place to be. And even if you, you know, it's, it's not like out West where you could maybe go early in the morning and, sure. and and run through some stuff and hit some cooler temps but here we just got all the thick cover and bugs and stuff but um we'll be out there i I haven't i haven't run run the dogs yet um in the woods to find any birds but i've been hearing hearing good stuff so uh definitely looking forward to it i was talking with a couple buddies like for me it's you know it'll
0: be nice to try to try to find some birds probably, but not some, it's not even just that. It's just the idea of I can get back out in the woods. Like I, I I can go on snowmobile trails that I pretty sure aren't going to find any birds, but at least I can run them on it and, you know, get, get that type of exercise going again. I've been swimming the dogs an awful lot and I, I really am. I'm really big on the idea of that. So I've been in swimming an awful lot this summer and I'm making a point of, of doing more of that. So, but, but to run them, I think they need that as well
1: is the setter swimming
0: yeah like a fish yeah. uh, she, she's an <laughs> otter man um she swims really well she retrieves really well in the water she probably retrieves better on the water than she does on land okay um, but I, I think the tra- the retrieving on the water is helping the retrieving on the land actually and i've seen that before with some of my labs too but yeah she she swims she's super competitive she, she can't be second um you know she she's she's an a- and i the muscle i see put on through the swimming I think is greater than any other way uh, that I have found you know I'm not big on rowing uh, I know a lot of people do and yeah I understand some of the benefits of it but um, I'm not real big on it I think this combination of swimming um, and, and adding more swimming into it for me has been I think really beneficial I see her just toning up Um, yeah. but you, you think about what she's doing she's working every muscle and look at the yeah. impact you know real low impact keeping her cool. So I think there's a ton of benefit to
1: it. Yep. Yep. I would agree. Uh, to use a real serious word, do you have a protocol or, or a way that you approach getting the dogs that swimming work? Is it just throwing bumpers and having no, them
0: retrieve? No, I No, no, I don't. I don't do it retrieving. Well, I mean, we retrieve in the water more for fun. Um, okay. The swimming that I'm doing with them is more like aerobic. Um, in that I I kayak. Okay. Um, so I'll like I'll go distances with them. So I take them out, We've we've got a cabin on a lake, and then my parents live on a lake, and not far from there. And so we, I have different paths that I'll take, and and I'll have them swim behind the boat. And sometimes I go fast uh, for short stretches. Sometimes I slow down, and I kind of let them kind of p- pace themselves down a bit. But so I vary some of the speeds, I vary some of the distances, I vary some of the time that it takes to do it. And um, I'm not a I'm not a, a sports dog scientist by any means, but like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it and going, well, I know people who run fast and sprint a little while. And then they kind of, you know, run long distances and pace themselves. So I'm kind of replicating some of that stuff, but doing it mm-hmm. on the water. Um, and I'm telling you, I've it, not just with her, but like with my labs too, I'm, I'm seeing some really nice body changes with them. So to me, it's the safest way. Um, pretty effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. I, my dogs get in the water, a good bit when we go to our cabin around here. I, I mean, I've got, I, I have access to water, but a lot of it is, uh you know, Lake Superior. That that's cold. Sure. Not that the, not that the dogs mind too much, but I don't have like the, the sort of kayak canoe setup where I would sure. actually paddle around and have them follow me. I've never really, never really tried that. Um, but my dogs do, they love the water and I try to get them in there as much as possible, but never tried the actual, swimming thing which i which is interesting do you is there any is it kind of just a pack pack mentality just kind of like expose the dogs to that and they just all of a sudden start following they figure that out pretty quick i'm guessing Yeah. I think it, you know,
0: for water introduction. Yeah. And I've got like, I've got these two puppies right now. My puppies don't do it. Um, I've got two pups that are about five months old and they don't, they're, I'm not, they're not swimming that kind I mean, they're swimming, but they're not swimming the distance with me. We're just making some fun retrieves, but of those two puppies, I've got one that's really not quite comfortable swimming yet. She's just, she's just a little behind in everything as far as development. And so she's not, she's just as happy to sit on the shore and watch, um, it, which is strange. It's probably the, and so this week I took them um, and I walk them um, by my place here. And there's a quarry down the road with it, which has big water and they have uh, a ditch. They pump, they pump water out and they fill this ditch with water. And it's not quite deep enough that the dogs have to swim. And so I was with my son and we were walking our dogs here uh, earlier this week. And that one puppy that's hesitant to go into the water and swim became pretty bold in that water she didn't have to swim in it but it was right to the point where she would have to swim and because they were playing and having fun and chasing each other that's where that pack mentality i think has loosened up her mind a bit so now i'll go back up north this weekend and um i'll be curious to see when is the point where she's just gonna go and and it'll come it's just Mm -hmm. with her it's taking it's taking a little longer it took the other one longer probably than i thought it would too but all of a sudden one day it's just she went, you know. She saw a, re- a tennis ball out in the water, and she went, and there was no no turning back from that point. So, and that that little puppy swims, you know. You see these puppies kind of swim funny a lot of times. They they can't quite get leveled out, and they're they're yeah. kind of breaking water. These these this this one that I have and Makina as well never swam like that. Boy, they level right up, and they're just they're torpedoes in the water. So, yeah. some I think some I think it is more natural to them. But yeah, the pack mentality for me is in a situation like that to get her over the edge. Yeah,
1: I love it. All this, all this talk about swimming, it's going to be hot today. I think, I think my head perfect, is perfect. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> yeah. couple of days. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I may be at the cabin this weekend too. And we've got a, I got a kayak there and a little paddleboard too. So I'm, I'm quite certain I could, I could convince Hartley to the older setter to follow me. Uh, we'll have to see. I've never tried that with Rose, but that'd be a good idea. We yeah. can do some laps up and down the shore.
0: Yeah, it'd be, you know, I start out short and I kind of wanted to get comfortable with it myself because I, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, but, but I have, you know, I've seen these dogs swim and I think they, they can swim all off a long ways yeah pretty safely, but you know, you are always, I'm always pretty close to shore and if something would come up, I think the dogs tell you when it's, you know, when it's enough and, um, there, there's not many things that they, I I underestimate a lot of things that they're capable of. Sure. So, but I think you gotta be careful.
1: yeah. So we're going to be talking a lot about the setter today and, and certainly comparing and contrasting where applicable to your labs versus the setter and, mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing how different things really were, if at all, but to kind of wrap up the swimming thing, anything, anything that you noticed as far as like exposure to water and, and anything did did queen do anything differently uh, with swimming or anything related to that?
0: No, she, uh, she took to it, you know, no different, I don't think, than the labs. I am a big believer in going in the water. Like, I just go in with them, yeah, you know, and right. I think it's, it should be warm and all that stuff. Um, but no, she's, I don't, I didn't see any difference. I think I've seen more variation. I've, now, obviously, I've seen a lot more Labradors than Setters myself yep. personally, but I didn't, you know, there's variation in all of them. So I, I just think the one thing that I would, that I really believe in, and everybody's got their own way of doing it but um I think that it's it's a it's a a notion that should be applied to everything but it's patience like just be patient with it because I I do think we get we get so antsy about stuff and I'm like that too man I wanted to pick this little puppy rain up I wanted to pick her up two three weeks ago carry her in the water and make her swim you know and it's like I could have done that and maybe it would have worked but the ch- there's an, a, a chance that she wouldn't have liked that. And I you can't go back on that stuff. So I think being patient, they'll let you know. There's this um, saying that I'm really digging into right now that a buddy of mine brought me. It's his idea, and he got it from another trainer over in England. But he, take what they'll give you, he keeps telling me. Just take what they'll give you. Take what she'll give you. Take- yeah. and so I just think that I repeat these little things in my head oftentimes um, and, and take what take what they'll give you is what I'm kind of using with these two puppies a lot in my mind. And this is, you know, I think that can be, I think that can be, can work in that situation as far as swimming, they're going to go eventually. And if they don't, I'd be surprised, you know, like you're going to, what's going to happen is you're going to figure out how to unlock that door. And this is what, when you have a lot of dogs over a lot of years, you, you realize you unlock doors in ways that you never thought you would, did you yeah. just happen to have, but you, you have to, observe, you have to be open to the observation. So you gotta, and then you put it back in your back of your mind and you go, all right, in five years when I have a dog that's kind of having a similar issue, maybe i try that, but um, they'll tell you, you know, let them tell you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a, that's a great, great sentiment there. Just cause I had the same experience and I'm I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I I did the early on with Hartley, I worked on, you know, I did the whole, every all the water intro that you read in in the book, you know, go to a shallow Creek with warm water, walk to the other side, make the puppy follow you. We did that. And then I went to, I remember we went to a lake and I'm kind of like trying to coax him in the water, not really sure what to do. And then I finally went in the water and he swam out to me and kind of swam a little lap around me and I was all excited. And then for the next couple of years, like, I really didn't give him a ton of opportunity to actually swim. I mean, he was, he was in and around water, but it wasn't until he was probably two or three and, and we started going to our cabin and he just had a lot of time around the water that he then became, I mean, a fish, like he's in the water all day. He can swim very well. And to your point, it's like it was just a total non-issue, but I'm sure I was sort of mildly concerned about it at Mm -hmm. one point or another, because you think you're missing some window of opportunity, but more Mm -hmm. often than not, you find that that's there, there aren't these doors that, that close forever. Yeah. But
0: last, last time I was up North, uh, Makina started jumping off the dock. Mm. She she, she never, you know, she's, she's been swimming for a long time and, and I don't, I, I'm not into dock diving, so I really don't care. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it was interesting because I'm throwing dummies in a pretty loose, um, you know, loose effort of retrieving with these dogs, just getting them some exercise and having fun and trying to get these puppies kind of engaged to come in. And, and all of a sudden I, I throw one out and Makina's at the end of the dock and she just launched herself. And I thought, where did she get the guts to do that? Because she's never done it before. So I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't focused on it, but if that were in the back of my mind of, I really want my dog to jump off the dock, I'd have been sweating it for the last mm-hmm. 12, 12 months because she didn't want to do it. And here I'd be trying to rack my brain and it came, it just came by me not worrying about it and letting her figure that stuff out. And I think that that's a simple example of something that nobody cares very, you know, bird hunting wise. We don't care about whether or not our setter jumps off the dock or not, but we do care about they do this or that or this or that in the bird field. Well, I think that sometimes we have to realize at certain points they're going to do it. And it's on their schedule, not necessarily always ours. And that's where I really feel like it takes a special understanding of from a dog training standpoint, from a dog trainer standpoint, it takes an understanding of realizing we don't always have to and maybe shouldn't always have the control of every single step in this thing. I think that we have to develop with them and as they develop and that takes it takes a lot for some people to give up, like yeah. it's a contr- that's a control thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying it can be just, you know, let the dog do whatever it wants to, whenever it wants to that. That's an extreme. And then the idea of micromanaging and ultra control, that's an extreme. And neither one of them are where I want to be. I, I always am, you know, looking for this middle ground, try to be in the balance, you know, figure yeah. out the balance with it. So, but some, that's a good example of like, okay, next time I'm panicking and worrying and freaking out about getting her to do something in the field, maybe it just takes a little longer, you know, maybe, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Well, maybe it had something to do with me, but more than likely, I think it's a combination of having things to do with the dog and you together. Yeah. Yep. It's that symphony kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's applicable in a lot of, in a lot of areas of life too, that, you know, if you're intensely focusing on something that's good in certain bursts, but if you, if you hit a wall, sometimes it's best to shift that focus, go elsewhere. And then, you know, things will, will happen without you really feeling like you did anything. You know, they just sort of seem to happen. The watch pot never boils, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very simple and, and well said. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to talk more about the setter, but I want to jump in here and have you tell me a little bit about your relationship with the partridge, Jeremy, when did, yeah. uh, when did you guys get involved? You know, how long do you go back?
0: <laughs> well, I never, I've never heard of a grouse until, <laughs> until I moved, until I moved to green Bay. I I'm from Rhinelander, which is, you know, North, North, I would call it Northern Wisconsin, um, North central, but I never heard anybody call it a grouse until I came down to green Bay. And I moved to green Bay when I was in, like fifth grade so I pretty much grew up down here and I had buddies and my buddies' dads and and we would I would hear them talk about grouse hunting and I was thinking to myself it's a different species I I had no idea what they're talking about but living up north and being raised up north and like my whole family's from up there my grandpa was the guy who always talked about partridge and my dad and my uncles and everyone that was always partridge so I I know some people talk about like road hunting the the connection of you know your partridge hunter but uh that wasn't what i that wasn't how i understood i just understood that that was what that bird was you know like everybody called and i it's still like that up there i drive down the road and i'll ask anybody if they're seeing birds and they'll ask me partridge and yeah well i know where you're from if you say that you know so yeah it's a it's one of those little little things that it's not that far away from here you know like it's like two hours north but there's a division, a, a line there of division in Wisconsin where it's you're either grouse hunter or a partridge hunter. But I know you're from up north, if it's partridge.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I That's- like the word.
0: I like it actually. I I try to train myself to call them that again, just because I go, I don't want to ever let that go away, you know.
1: Yeah, yep. I I do. Too. I have a fondness for it too, just because the the people that brought me into it that's what they called, you know, my grandpa, my dad, my uncle, yeah. it was, it was partridge. So I mm-hmm. have always had a fondness for calling rough grouse partridge. And, you know, now I, t- you have some fun with, with the whole grouse hunting, grouse hunter versus partridge hunter, that kind right. of thing. But I don't, I don't mind either term, term if I'm, if I'm, you know, on this podcast, I usually say grouse or, but that's another funny thing because I always say grouse and, you know, I, when I say that, I mean, rough grouse when there's obviously lots of different grouse species too, but yeah, yeah. it's just one of those fun things. But you, so you got started hunting them when you were, when you were fairly young, was it, did it become a a thing that you avidly pursued or, you know, what, what were, what are your kind of early recollections of, of partridge hunting?
0: Yeah, it was, um, well, we always saw them bull hunting. So like we sure. weren't, we weren't necessarily trying to hunt them. My dad, I'd be tagging along with my dad, bull hunting and we would spot them. You know, we hunted some woods that now looking back on it, I recognize why they were there, but it was, um, like managed forest properties that had been, had been selective cuts and and they all of a sudden they regenerated. And so it totally makes sense why they were there. But back then I didn't really think twice about it. And I feel like back when I was younger, um, it was more commonplace. I felt like for us to get scared by them walking down trails. Like mm. it, you know, we were, we weren't necessarily looking for them. We weren't necessarily going into covers that you would, um, that the way I would do it today, but we would get, you know, startled on the trail. They'd scare the hell out of you. So yeah. it was, it was always kind of an elusive bird that way. I do recall like one of my first memories with, with one is at my grandpa's and going back on it. This is in the early eighties and I was pretty young and, I spent my summers there. Uh, um, it's where my parents live now, but that's where I grew up in the summer. And I remember seeing one and my grandpa, it was, this was 30, 30 some years ago now. And it, there was habitat around there that had been cut. So now it's like, ah, oh, it totally makes sense by these birds. Cause I have no right. idea why there won't, you won't see one there now it's over. It's very open and matured. And so, but I, I look at it and there was this grouse and I, I, I followed it and I like, I crawled like a cat kind of behind it. And I remember going through the thick stuff. I'll never forget it. And I just, the bird was like almost half tame. It wasn't really afraid of me and, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure out. And I went in and told my grandpa and I just thought I had discovered something here. And my grandpa's telling me how it's a partridge. And, and it was just, so I'll never forget that. It's like one of my best, you know, it's a great memory, but that was, so that was like my first introduction as far as hunting went probably didn't hunt them more seriously until i could get until i got a driver's license you know like yeah. that was when and i lived down here then um and so my buddies and i would we had old you know we had old beat up pickup trucks and we'd on half days or maybe even not a half day we might get out a little early and go up north and bring dogs and um you know we'd we'd shoot a few but it was like it was something to do it wasn't like we've that was our focus. We weren't like passionate grouse hunters. We just, we wanted to hunt stuff. And so we were more small game hunting and that became kind of the trophy of that. So, and that was, that was, um, you know, like that for a long time. And then I got, I got more serious, I would say about it. Um, it's probably been about seven or eight years now. And it was just because I, I just feel like I grew up a little bit, you know, like I got a little bit older. I'm a really big, I'm really big into deer hunting and yeah. I needed a little bit of a break maybe mentally from it. And I had, had dogs that I knew would be very, you know, very capable. And I loved the idea of hunting anything with my dogs. I've always loved that. So I thought, you know what, and what really got me grouse hunting more seriously was I went and bought a gun. Like I always kind of wanted, I always kind of wanted a grouse gun. And, and it was, I don't know. How long has your podcast been? Uh,
1: 2017. So coming up on six years, basically. So it's probably right. But it's not
0: long before it wasn't long before I started listening to your podcast, but I had this idea of, um, a gun that I wanted and I wanted a grouse gun. And at the time I had never, you know, I, I had never had anything but a pump shotgun. Um, and so for, for bird hunting. And so. I bought a um, a Satori. I found a Satori used, a Upland Special, like really Really? little. Yeah, yeah. I I have have one. (laughs) Yeah, I found it at a uh, gun shop locally here. And you know a guy, you know Jack, Jack Steffen. Yes. Yeah. So, so I know Jack. I've known Jack for years. Used to duck hunt with him, and so he knew more about guns than anyone I knew. So I would send, I would send him pictures of guns that I, that I was interested in, and I found this little gun, and. It was, I don't know, in the state or something that they got they picked it up off of and it yep. was they didn't even have it out yet. They they it was in the back, I saw it, and and they didn't have a price on it yet or anything. And so I I saw it and I sent a picture to Jack and he said, Well, that's a pretty nice gun. And so then price-wise and all this, we're going back and forth. And so I bought it and I brought it home and I was shooting some doves with it. And and I sent him a picture of it and he said something about the measurements, and it's 24-inch barrels. Yeah. And so he, I said, no, it's a 24 inch barrel. And he goes, no. I said, yeah. He goes, then it's like an Upland special or whatever they call it, you know? Yep. That's right. So I'm like, well, that's what I got. And he's, oh man, that's, that's cool. That's cooler than what I thought. And so (laughs) I bought that gun and it forced me intentionally. I bought it because I knew if I bought it, I was going to go grouse hunting more because I was like, I got the tool for it, man. I'm going to go do it. And there was something about the feel of carrying that. So I I started running like north of my house here. I started running, I'm not far from the UP. So I'd run up there. And I started looking into gems, like those gems areas. Mm, yep. and, and I I just didn't understand enough about the bird to, to really um consistently put myself in front of them. It was always, it, prior to that, it was always kind of, I'd see them in some spots that I was, whether I was was going back to fish, fish a lake or deer hunting or something like that. So, but then all of a sudden I, that was where I was like, I'm going to start. If I really want to do this, I got to be better at it. And so that was when I tried to study some more stuff and learn a little bit. And I think grouse hunting for me is, has really opened up my eyes to to looking at the woods differently because I look for different stuff now. And it's shit that I never realized or recognized. And now I look at it and I go, okay, how does that correlate? And it's what's interesting is how how much it connects dots to other stuff that I do and had interest for a long time, deer hunting stuff and very right. hunting stuff and and things like that. There's a lot of overlap in the understanding of that woods. Definitely. Um, and so me, and then then you so that's that's the beauty of it for me is that it it's this. I'm learning an awful lot about different stuff that I wouldn't have learned about otherwise. Plus I'm learning an awful lot about my dogs because I have to work them a little differently and I have to, I have to approach things differently with them. I have to prepare them a little bit different. I have to handle them a little different. So all that stuff is like opening up this giant thing in my mind of, man, I got a lot to learn. And then you you know, you do that long enough, you realize well, you got to have yourself a pointing dog. And, and if you're going to have a <laughs> grouse dog, you got to get a setter. So like I, I had all these, like I went through this whole thing I started out with the idea of a pointer. I was thinking pointer for years. That okay. was yep. going to be my, my pointing dog. I I had looked at a few kennels. I talked with several, um, visited a couple, um, just wasn't quite, just wasn't quite committed enough to do it. Uh, and then I started, The more I dug into it, then I started to question, is that what I, what I really want? And then I found setters and, and then I was like, oh man, this is, this is what I want. And then I, then I dug into that and then, so it's admittedly, I'm, I'm very much in the learning, the learning phase of all of it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that, man. It's almost uncanny a Satori Upland special, and then you end up with a Northwoods Setter. We got right. more in common than I even realized. <laughs> so, you, when,
0: when, when did you get yours? You're up, you're, you're gone.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of, it's similar. Like it was, it was, I grew up, you know, grouse hunting, and I kind of, at some point, I re- this was in my mid twenties, probably, you know, I was working and, and had a little bit more money and it was like, oh, I need a, I want a double gun. You know, I want a yeah. similar, similar to you. Like I wanted a a gun that like I identified more as a bird hunting gun, an upland hunting mm-hmm. gun. And for me, I always knew about, the, I liked Brownings. I had a Browning BPS when I was younger and they had a BPS upland special which had a straight english grip and it was just their pump shotgun and then you had the satori upland special which i had kind of identified as what i wanted as my first grouse gun and mm-hmm. at the time i didn't i mean maybe looked on GunBroker a little bit but i didn't look around or go to shows or anything well i went to this gun show in the twin cities with my buddy and i had it in my mind that i was hopefully gonna find a satori upland special there and i walked around the entire show and like didn't see anything and it was literally the last table as we were walking out i i, I this thing up and there's a satori upland special And this old guy was he was selling it for a friend he said on consignment and i sat there and looked. it was kind of like i didn't know anything about Great. inspecting a gun or knowing like whether or not you should or should buy it you know but i just i, I bought it sight unseen and and that was my first first double gun and obviously i've uh, i've gone you know on the downward spiral from there okay lots of other ones but i still have the satori and i I shot that thing pretty well um it's a it's a really neat neat little gun so
0: yeah i love it i i don't hunt with it i haven't hunted with it for a couple years um i keep it at my keep it at my cabin it stays in my i got this old gun rack that my dad built in high school that we I, i i keep it right there it's like almost like for looks more than anything right now but like i'll have friends that'll use it yeah um I can't sell it. I just, I'll never sell it. I can't sell guns and it means too much to me now. Like it's a part of my family. Right. So yeah. I'll give it, you know, I'll give it to someone. I'm going to give it, I've got a nephew that is a real aspiring hunter and I've got my son and like I, that's will it'll stay in our, I hope it just stays in our family and yeah. forever, but I'll give it to somebody. And, um, but I did like it. I, I loved it and, and it did, it did exactly what it needed to do. It got me really Committed to dig in a little bit deeper, and and that's and I, so I kind of owe I kind of owe a little bit to that gun, probably.
1: Do you ever have issues with the, the safety kind of getting caught in the middle of that selector and not coming off? It's I've heard it's kind of a common. No. I, it's maybe happened to me once or twice, but I haven't used it much anymore.
0: No, I I haven't, and I probably I don't shoot it an awful lot. You know, I mean yeah. I've, I've shot several boxes through it since I got it, but that's in seven eight years now. Yeah. Um I've, I've, it's been pretty flawless for me and it's in really good condition. I don't know. I'm guessing it's from like, it's gotta be from the eighties, I would guess.
1: Yeah. I think mine is too. I think I looked up the serial number at one point.
0: So, um, but it's, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool little gun. And, and, uh, and that's, that's another reason I love partridge or grouse, or whatever you want to call them. But uh, it, that the idea of, of this hunting, this type of hunting isn't just about that this bird for me mm-hmm. just a lot and i think that's a very common thing for a lot of folks there's yeah. the the guns become a very important part of this and yep. and not to say that it has to be like fancy either you know like these i i don't consider these guns are a lot fancier than what i was used to like it was a huge step up for me um from an investment standpoint but i don't i don't think you have to i i you know there's some there's some stuff that isn't isn't that expensive either that, you know, I think fits, you know, it, it fits the, the feel of it.
1: Yeah. Whether it's a vintage side-by-side, a Satori upland special, a Winchester model 12, yeah. you're yeah. absolutely right. I And I don't, I wonder about this cause it's, it is very common. It, it won't come as a surprise to most people listening to this, but you know, is it the sort of the lack of the trophy aspect of upland hunting where, you know, a grouse is a grouse for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's a, it's human nature. Like we sort of build things up in our mind and we figure out ways to kind of like rank something versus another thing. But you know, the dog is a, is a component. The bird is a component. The gun is a component. There's so many of these things that we kind of like, we sort of build up each of these components and it's all about sort of like the entire experience when it comes to grow, And I mean, that's, you can do it however you want to do it, but I, I love very, that stuff. Very
0: much so. And I, <laughs> I actually feel like there's such, there's such simple steps of, of measurement for me of, of, and it's, and it's rewarding. Like there was a big step that first year that I wanted to do it and bought that gun. I mean, I found, I, I found a limit. I, I don't, I didn't shoot one. I found probably I don't know if I found 10 birds that year. And I went yeah. quite a few times, not, a, not as much as I do now, but like I went enough to, to have – I should have found more than that. But all of a sudden, the second year, it, it stuck with me enough. And then the second year, I started to find more, and I started to realize why I'm finding more. It wasn't an accident. It was because yep. I, I was learning more and, and putting myself in better spots. And then, and then all of a sudden, it became like really, really satisfying and rewarding to recognize – I can go out and find one each time, like just, just to find one. Yeah. You know, it might be just hear it, but I knew I was there, you know? So like that became, that became a sense of satisfaction. And I, I I have to, I have to remind myself too. Now a few years, a few more years down the road with it, don't lose that. You know, like there's going to be a point where I have to tell myself, you know, I've, I have, I'm guilty of like, a day where we get back and, you know, I like to spend October at my cabin if possible. And, and, and that is like, I really look forward to that, but there's days where we get up, we come back a group of guys and we're going to eat and whatever. And we're talking about the, uh, we only saw, you know, between the group, we only moved 30 birds and I'm going, mm-hmm. are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> stop right now because you're, there's so many things that you that are going on right now that you just said, we only did this and you're kind of disappointed. No, man, you got to, so I have to remind myself, and I think I will have to remind myself of, you know, enjoy these subtle parts and yeah. don't lose, don't lose, don't, don't lose the the sight of that. But
1: yeah, I, it's, it's, it's so common. And I think usually when you have those moments, they are, they're very short sighted moments, right? You're just, you're caught up in yeah. the moment, whatever you're, you know, we had a tough day in the woods, you know, and yesterday we flushed this many and, you know, it's it's human nature but as long as you can at some point step back take a breath and look at the bigger like hey we were out yeah. grouse hunting today man like right I mean that's you know we all we all go through that so
0: totally and I think part of it too is the company you keep like I think yeah. you
1: gotta you have to be
0: careful I have to be I and I, I I'm a big per, people person I really enjoy people and what they bring and in the, the differences in people but you gotta remember too like one of the things that I've i've made a, a point of is trying to i really try to i like kids i got kids and some of my kids are older now my son's 21 and my youngest one's four so we got kind of a variation there but i i feel like a kid is a good way to bring yourself back down to go man if you bring a kid out that's never done this before just seeing them shake after they get scared by a bird that flush, mm-hmm. or get to see the excitement in them when a dog gets a little bit birdie or you know, now with the setter goes on point and like all of this stuff, just sometimes I need to see that too, as a reminder of, yeah, man, that's why we do it, you yeah. know? And, and, and so I, and the more, and the more deeper I get into it, the more people I find that are deep way deep into it. And I, I gotta like learn as much as I can from that, but also recognize that's where I see a lot of that. Well, we only did this. We only, ah, f- no, no, no stay grounded that way you know yeah so i i think it's just a personal thing it's a
1: struggle of mine personally that i gotta continue to to work through yeah yeah that's cool well like your satori upland special mine is mine's at the cabin as well it's kind of on on uh it's my dad's gun now he retired last year so he had a little more time to spend in the woods and sure. I, kinda, I left it down there and it's actually mine has a real short length of pull somebody chopped it off and there's a rubber pad and then I have a slip-on rubber pad or to bring it out to like an adult size so sure, I yeah. have I've got visions in in the future that that my boys will maybe be shooting that gun as well For so sure, that's really Very cool, cool. yeah well let's let's slide into talking English setters a bit we've we've danced around it here on part one of our conversation a little bit today already but and you kind of hit on sort of how you end up but what was it about the setters that you know you had a you had an idea in your mind of a pointer what kind of tipped you over and said you know what i'm getting a first pointing dog i'm gonna get an english setter
0: um i i think the one word that i think is important with them is warmth i just feel like they're a warm dog and i i like warm dogs um when i say that i mean like they give they give you their eyes they they're with you um they they remind me, they remind me a lot of my labs, you know, like, and, and when it comes to labs, I've got this style of dog that I have, that I really like. And, and it's something that I've for years and years and years pursued, um, tr- tried to narrow down to figure out exactly. I think that's a, that's a real important thing for, for people. Um, especially when you get serious about dogs, a dog's a dog, but they are very, you know, you, it depends how deep you want to get into them. And for me, I've, I've taken 20 some years to figure out the type of lab that I like. And now that's what we breed and we do it really intentionally. And so when I got into, and, and that's, that's true in all breeds, like there's, there's some labs that their personalities are not what I'm after. And their, their style is not what I'm after. There's some there are setters that are not what I'm after I've seen now I've now I've like really gotten interested in this sure. world and dug in and in some of the field trial stuff has been super fascinating to me cover dog stuff and and so I've seen some that are not what I like or not, not what I would want personally yeah and then I see some that are like oh that's that's and I've been influenced by people to prefer certain types um and that certainly doesn't mean that other types aren't Aren't good it's just you develop personal preferences and one of the things that I have found about setters a, as a rule I just feel like they're a real warm dog and they're real giving I think is the word and I like that that's what I like in my lab so when I train these dogs and work with these dogs there there is a level that I need uh, a feeling that I need of of cooperation and and I found that with the setter yeah. and i think it, a lot of it came from their eyes like i got good i get i get such good eyes from them um from some of them you know and then and i and the pointers the pointers are the pointers are cool i i think they're i really like them too don't get me wrong but if i have to pick one which i had to pick one um that's what i picked someday what jerry Coulter told me you want to be when we're through this whole process of of makina this my setter I've spent, I've tried to spend as much time as I can. I'm going to go see Jerry this week, later this oh, week cool. and and, uh, and spend a day with him. But we've done that several times and I pick up an awful lot that way. And, and there's other people that I've spent some time with too. And I gained so much from that, but we've had some conversations and he's, he laughs, I think at some of the stuff I say, because, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm experiencing some of this stuff for the first time and he's had 40 years of it. So he's. Yep probably it probably is like me with that kid that grouse hunts for the first time you know it's like wow he, he kind of enjoys these subtle things that maybe I, <laughs> I've, you know I haven't maybe paid attention to for a long time but some of the things that I tell him you know he'll I, I think especially with his dogs like they're a, they're they're built and they fit really well with with my approach to training um, and I think some people were surprised at that going, you know, as this has happened and it's, it's still in the middle. So like, I, I gotta be careful too, because yeah. we're not, out uh, we're not through the woods here with this dog. It, she's, she's a very nice dog. And she's, I credit that to her, like not to my training necessarily to, she's built really well. She's got all the components, but what I think is, is aligning is how I, how I work with her works with how she's built. And s- you know, there was a point where I think folks that I talk with in the dog world, I don't know that they believed that would happen. I think they thought, you're going to be in for some some pretty rude awakenings of, you know, you can't do that with that dog. You can't do that with that type of dog. You can't do that with that breed of dog. And I I just don't think that that's true. Like, I've trained her very – my training with her, the approach, philosophy-wise, hasn't been a whole lot different. and. yeah but there are differences and I, and I, it's so good for me as a trainer because the differences that I'm seeing and having to adapt to, um, are only going to make me better with labs. Like they're only going to make me better with this next setter. And there will be, I mean, there's, there's going to be more setters. I, I I just love them. I am really, really happy
1: with it. I love hearing that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm like nodding my head a bunch of your listeners won't see that, but, and you know, the way you describe setters is certainly the way I would describe mine. And obviously my experience is limited only to setters. So take that with a grain of salt. And my setters just so happen to be from the same place as as your setter, Jerry Coulter. So, so there's uh, a lot of that going on, which again, you know, I've talked about my dogs at length on this podcast over the years, but. I would I would certainly agree and it's just interesting to to hear that's what you found as well because it, it's definitely kind of how I would describe my dogs. going back to the the eye contact thing and I do want to well I'll, I'll start here how did you how did you land on Jerry Coulter and end up with one of his dogs well
0: I had heard. You know, it didn't take long. You don't have to dig in very far, uh, right. grouse dogs to come across his name. And you, I just, yep. I actually just wrote an article for Gun gundog. Uh, I'm doing this column this year on trainers, people that have interested me, um, people that I've worked with and spent time with and, um, sharing story. Uh, the idea of the column is to share this, share the specific story of the time I spent with them because I think that I don't want to, I didn't want to write them as bios. Like I, I think bios get pretty boring, um, they make people feel good. They fluff up stuff. I, that wasn't my intention with this column. The idea was share the experience that you had with the person, and hopefully that tells a lot about the person. That was my idea with it. So, with I just just turned it into Callie that you're late uh, cool. this 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 week. <laughs> um, she's she is the best because she, she tolerates my my personality of tardiness at times. But so I just sent it to her, and, and that'll be. I don't, that'll probably be like November. I think that'd the be issue. the fall,
1: the fall issue Yeah. or, yep. well, I don't know where they're at, but yeah. Anyways, September, I think I just got this week. Um, yeah, the I, one, I the actually have with the sharp tail on it. I love yep, that cover.
0: <laughs> yep. And then I, I did, I did, I did a column on Jerry Havel as well. So his, is, his will be next. So okay. that'll be like October, I think. And then November would be, would be Jerry Coulter. But, um, the, so the idea of, jerry came because you i I wrote in there about jerry this thing called jerry dogs you hear them you hear people talk about jerry dogs and that and it comes up very quickly well his dogs are very you can pick them out you can pick them out in a crowd Mm -hmm. um and and so and that's intentional you know that didn't that happened that took a lot to get for him to get he and Betsy to get where they are at. So, and, and so that, that was easy to come across, but then, um, you know, it took me, I visited a few other, I I talked with and messaged and visited a few others. Um, And what really did sell me on Jerry's dogs was Jerry and Betsy. Like I, I loved their dogs. I loved going in and walking through their kennel and seeing just that. I saw this warmth. I saw this warmth in their eyes. These dogs would come out. Thank you my mail getting the word here. Uh, so I saw these dogs, they'd come to the kennel and they, they, you know, they'd kennel run and they'd look at me mm-hmm. all they wanted. And they, you could just see it in their eyes. Hey, give me a pet, you know, not they're quiet They're they're just, so, so that was what really pushed me over. But, um, I had a, my, I have a really good, a very good friend that we've trained labs with and, and done stuff with for years and years and years. And he bought a place, um, he bought a place for grouse hunting primarily he bought a cabin and some land on a lake. And, and we were talking about dogs. He's going to get a setter too. And I have another buddy that's going to, that was going to get a setter. This was three, three years ago now, three, four years ago. And actually probably five years ago. So we're, we're talking about getting these dogs and he bought this land and he went up there and he's, working on his cabin and he met the neighbor the neighbor's a huge grouse hunter like maintains all these trails and all this stuff like it's very much grouse grouse territory and he texted me and we had talked about jerry coulter and we had talked about northwood's bird dogs me and my two buddies and our idea was let's all get puppies out of the same litter this is gonna be great we all got labs out of the same litter we've they've got puppies that i've bred like we've been doing labs for 15 20 years together let's get these setters together so we were going to do that. And we had, we all three went over and visited Jerry and Betsy. And that was kind of what sealed the deal for us. But then within a week or two of that, my buddy calls me up and he says, Hey, you're never going to believe this. I was, it was actually that, yeah, it was, it was that fall. He said, I was just at my neighbor's place and they have 11 Northwoods bird dogs in the cabin (laughs) sleeping, just quiet as can be. They're the most beautiful bird dogs ever. And he goes, they're all Northwoods dogs. And I'm like, shut up. And he goes, I'm telling you, my neighbor's been buying these dogs for a long time and all the guys that hunt there have them. Jerry comes here and hunts there occasionally. So yeah. it's, well, it's Chris By's place. Yeah. So he happens to be neighbors <laughs> with Chris. So I'm this like, man, what a, what a small world, you know? So it's it, crazy. It just So that's how I, that's how I landed on, on, on Jerry and then got, and then I, it didn't work out to get puppies with my buddies. They got litter mates. Um, and then I ended up about I was probably six, eight months later that I got Makina and it was the best thing that could have happened for me. Cause I got to live vicariously through those two guys with these sure. setters for the first eight months before I had to tackle mine. And, um, I learned, I learned so much just watching what they were doing and kind of paying attention to some of the stuff that their dogs were, were doing well and, and struggling with. And so it's just been a big, um, it's been a great journey for me. Um, and it's hard to believe, you know, really hasn't been that long. It feels like it's been a lot longer. So, yeah, but yeah, so the, the, that's what, that's what I liked about them.
1: Yeah. I love it. I love hearing that. It's, it's funny. I mean, it is a small world and yeah, I, I obviously, as I always say stumbled into Northwoods bird dogs and Jerry and Betsy and, and it doesn't take long to start, you know, meeting and interacting with people that, know that name, know that kennel, know the dogs. And yeah. you make, and I, you know, I met Chris by through a random connection and same deal. It's just like, there's a, there's, there's kind of a little community there, which is, which is neat, but um, very much. It's yeah. A culture. They,
0: they've, they've done a tremendous job of building a culture. Um, and they have very, very passionate, like following of that. Yeah. And it's a small, it's a small world, but boy, I tell you what, you, you'll be surprised how often you bump into it, which tells me maybe hell it ain't, maybe it's not that (laughs) small.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well, let's, let's kind of focus in on the set because the biggest thing for me is, you know, I know how I was kind of first bird having like no experience. You're getting your first pointing dog, but you've obviously got this sort of wealth of experience with the labs and, and just in a, in a much different place than somebody like myself. But I want to know, like, As you were looking ahead to getting a pointing dog, like what were those things that whether they turned out to be true or not, what were those things that you were concerned about or thinking, okay, I've got to, I've got to go through this, this, and this, which I haven't done before when it comes to pointing dogs.
0: Yeah. The, the biggest thing for me, I think was what, what, what I was told. And and this Mm -hmm. is part of it too, was you got to really, you got to really start. I had to really sift through you know, listen to, but understand that like nothing's gospel. So like I read a lot of books, I watched a lot of videos. I, I really dove into trying to be more of a student because with labs, it's, it's reflex now. It's, you do it long enough. You just, mm-hmm. man, I'm so, I'm so, I'm just so comfortable with everything. I, I, I have no concerns whatsoever. I was tense leading up to getting this puppy of how do I prepare? What do I study? How do I study enough? Who can I watch? Who can I observe? Who can I talk to create all these little phone a friend type things where I got all these little outs to people that when I run into these issues, well, you start thinking yourself, you start, you start getting into it like that. If you, if you don't have, and I ran into it where I overthought everything. And then I found myself like not doing something because I was overthinking it. And I, I, I totally understand what people feel when they when they send messages to me and they're struggling with their dogs because I was doing I was feeling the same way. So, foundation stuff was a bit a big concern to me, only because I was really left with the impression of don't do it with these dogs. You wreck them. You got to build this fire in them, and you got to get these dogs burdened, crazy, and like and all this all this bullshit. And I'm sitting here going. <laughs> Man, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I bought a dog that I think is probably bred like as well as you are gonna as I am gonna find as far as like bird finding mm-hmm. and the idea of natural point and all this stuff. And so, uh, I had to like really kind of start questioning that. But I, I, I feel like the biggest thing that I think personally was a difference. So, so I, I heard that, but I, I just didn't didn't buy into it. And I, I, from the very beginning said, if
1: if I could just jump in and just clarify a little bit, like, cause I think I know what you're saying. Like, it's basically with a young pointing dog, don't overdo the heel obedience, that stuff yeah. for fear of taking right. out that drive. Is that correct?
0: Right. Don't put yeah. too much control. Don't you, yeah. don't, you don't, don't, don't not so much control. And I think control is like discipline and discipline is like obedience and obedience is like the heel and the re you know all the foundational stuff like and so when i when i say it's that it's like that's what some people's minds go to when you Mm -hmm. say those words because i think we all have a little bit different definition of what foundation is we all have a little bit different definition of what discipline is we all have a little so like you have to be careful when you start that vocabulary going because if you listen to one person say it and you have an understanding of well those words mean this this and this and that's all you listen to, then you might be totally missing it. Cause the person that said it might not be meaning what you're actually like understanding it as. So I, I think part of the problem was when I would talk to people and when, and I just think it was great because people were more than willing to share their opinions. Like they were more than willing to share their thoughts with me on it. And so when they would say, you can't do the stuff, the discipline, you can't do the foundation, you can't do all the the control stuff that you do with these labs, you'll wreck that puppy. I think part of the issue was how they thought I got the control with my labs. I think they didn't understand necessarily that I don't put a whole lot of pressure on my dogs. Like from, from a training perspective, in my opinion, I'm not real big on pressure. Like, I think you need pressure and praise. I think that's important. I think that's how they learn, but I don't think it means you have to like be really hard with them physically. I don't use e-collars, I don't use use shot collars. So I don't know anybody that I've talked with about this that didn't realize that I train all my labs without one. Never, Never owned one, never used one. So when I said to them that I'm gonna do that with the pointing dog, they really thought I was speaking a different language. And I think what they thought was, when you start talking about doing this control, discipline, foundation, obedience, whatever word you want to use it all. In my mind, it's the idea of having a, having a well-disciplined dog or an obedient dog. I think they thought in order to do that, you're gonna to have to put a whole bunch of pressure on the dog. And I do think you can kind of take their spirit away a little bit if you're too hard on them. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think that's any different with a retriever. And that's what I look at it as, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it that way. And I think once people realize he gets his dogs to heal really well off lead, like I, I want her to heal well because now it's, Looking at well, what is my purpose with this dog? I'm gonna bird hunt with her for three months out of the year. For nine months out of the year, she's our family dog. She lives in our house, she goes to every trip with us, she's doing all this stuff. And I so I'm not just putting her in a kennel at the end of the season and taking her back out in August to tune her up. So, and that's I would say the majority of your listeners probably are in the same boat. Like very few people, unless you're an outfitter, I suppose, have dogs that at such volume that you just, you don't, you don't use them in everyday type stuff. So for me, in order for me to truly enjoy them, I have to have all this stuff. So I got the puppy healing, you know, I'm, I'm working with her on all, a lot of this real basic foundation stuff. Heel sit. I I didn't teach her to sit. I taught her to stop. That's one thing that, you know, that's the old wise tale. Don't teach her. I feel like, are you, I feel like, man, if you are afraid that your dog is going to sit because, because of you've taught it to sit. I look at it and I go, well, how did you teach it to sit? It's only going to sit under pressure. If you're putting so much pressure on it. So when the dog goes to a bird and goes on point, the last thing on my dog's mind is me. That dog's mm-hmm. on the bird. And I just don't see if the dog sits because it feels too much pressure. You put way too much fucking pressure on it. It Has nothing to do with the idea of teaching the dog to sit. I didn't not teach her to sit because of that. I didn't teach her to sit because... It's this idea of take what they give you. She didn't like to sit. yeah. And I didn't really give a damn if she sat because what did it benefit me to have a dog to sit? It didn't, the only thing that I get out of a dog that sits is stationary, no movement. So what I decided at that point was I started to work with her on sit and it didn't come to her very naturally. She just didn't sit. And when she did, she looked awkward. Her legs (laughs) looked funny. She didn't (laughs) sit real comfortably. I've seen the dog sit probably a dozen times in her life. Yeah. It's not very often. So, but what she would do, and I told Jerry this right away, because I said, man, this is, I don't know what's going on here. She would stop and stand a lot and, and like, not, I didn't feel, I didn't sense from her that she was going to move. So I I decided at that point, well, I'm not going to teach her to sit. I'm just going to teach her to stand, just stand there. You don't, as long as you're not moving, that's what I'm after. I'm after stationary. So that's control. That had nothing to do with bird stuff. That was just, hey, I need the dogs to stop for a second. So that was one of the things that I decided, well, that's how I'll do this. Now, if I had a setter come in that liked to sit all the time, my buddy Chris's dog sits all the time. He sits really well. He looks really natural. So he taught his dog when he would stop on heel to sit. He does it really well and he does it not. I'd probably do that if I was him. Yeah. But it just didn't. It didn't seem like the thing to do for her. So... I think I really, I didn't shy away from foundation. She very, she saw very few birds like, um, like for training, you know, I, I did do some like introduction to a a pigeon. Um, I talked to Ethan Pippett about it. He does this thing. He calls, I think he calls it positive pigeons. And we, I basically just pulled a pigeon out of my bag and let her see it. And all of a sudden that unlocked her point because bam, she'd start pointing and she looked awesome. I got some super cool videos of it. We did it twice. Um, three, three pigeons, two times. So that's six pigeons. And she did it probably at about five months old. I did it at a workshop. We did, we did a training workshop and I did it at a workshop in front of people that were at the workshop to show them, Hey, I'm going to do this for the first time. Let's all do it together. Let's all kind of watch it. And so, um, I was learning as they, as everyone else. And we filmed it and we kind of, we have that in like in our training library. So people can see all that stuff. I think that's the stuff that I couldn't find. That was, you know, I could find edited videos about mm-hmm. training. I could find books that were written well, but the, they, they deliver one message. And I don't think it's a one message thing, training a dog. So, yep. so, the, so we did, we did some of that to bring out some really point, but that's about all I, and I would, you know, from that she would point it and then I'd throw the bird, she'd chase it. And that allowed me probably a little bit of a gateway to the next point, which allowed me to introduce gunfire to her. Cause we, we used that drill basically to, to introduce gunfire. I was letting her chase birds and shooting the gun and, and that worked really well. So all that stuff was, you know, all kind of, it made sense, but that was like the, that was what I would call like the field more like directed towards the hunting type stuff. That was all I did then. I did a lot of foundational stuff, heel, recall, um, place training. I place trained her from day one. And Jerry, I think, was – Jerry had questions about that. You know, he <laughs> called me right away because I posted a video of this little puppy in our living room and my daughter's running. My four-year-old daughter at the time was two. She's running around the puppy, and the puppy's staying on her place. And, and I think people thought I had an electric fence on the thing because they be, couldn't believe you could do that with a puppy, much less a setter. That's what other people told me was you'll never be able to place train your dog like you do your labs. I think she was easier to place train. I think the difference is, is like how I did it. I place training is not a command that I use to like, it's not a target. It's not an objective where I send dogs to it. Some people use that in that way. I get it. It's not a function for me. I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need a dog to to come back to retrieve and go to a place. Cause I feel like you're teaching the dog to go to a place. I want the dog to come back to me. So I don't use it for that reason, but I use it for like, she's on one right now.
1: Sit, sit still.
0: Safe, yeah, you got a safe spot. Yeah. Like that's where you can go. It's, it's an alternative to being in your crate. So she's in, she's on one right now next to me. So like I, from day one, my puppies don't come off their place. When I put them on place, they stay on their place. Like they're not allowed. If they step off, they get corrected. If they step off, they get corrected. And by th- the third correction, they're so smart, they realize I'm not allowed to step off of here. So I could put her on this place in the middle of the city, and I, I, I feel comfortable. I could come back in a couple hours. She wouldn't be off of it. Mm. Unless someone came over and picked her up and took her, she's not coming off of it. And, but the reason is because I've never given her the opportunity to think it's okay to come off. And so what I don't put a kennel, like if I had a kennel run, which I don't, but like in the house, my dogs don't, aren't a, she's not able to walk around the house and get up on her bed when she wants and then get off of her bed when she wants. She's not in a kennel where she can go lay on the bed and then get off of it at her will. No, it's a, you're on the place, you're on the place. Hmm. I come and get you. I either pick you up when you're little or I heal you off when you're a little bit bigger. But she, to this day, I never let her choose you get to come on on and off whenever you want. So like that was something that people said, you'll never be able to do that with a setter. And it was the easiest thing in the world, but it's because of how and why, why I was doing it. And so, you know, retrieving stuff with her, she retrieved like a lab in the house. Uh, outside was a different story. You know, she had this idea of like freedom and wanted to run off and stuff. So what did I do? I took away those opportunities. I didn't work with her on retrieving outside. Um, Retrieving wasn't a real important thing for me with her early on. And so I didn't put a lot of emphasis on it. She's coming along, coming around with it actually pretty nice now. And I actually, and I think that that's another example of like, they'll tell you when it's time, you know? So I could have tried to force the retrieve with her early on to be shaped the way I wanted it, but I would have been really fighting it. And I didn't need to. I heal my labs in the woods with me all the time and they make the retrieves. I'm lucky that way. Yeah. So, but now all of a sudden she's showing me that she would like to bring it back to me. Cause she'd like me to throw it again for her. So I let her tell me when, when she's ready to kind of do it that way. And so now I'm still not even focused on it. Cause I'm in the process right now of trying to take away her chase. Like we're, we're kind of, we're just, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it. I would say right now, but um, we're kind of steadying her up to the, Is she like
1: 18 months right now, a year and a half. Well,
0: well, she'll be, her birthday is November, I think it's November 7th, either November 7th or November 12th. So what does that put her? She's she, August. She, would, she would be
1: two in November, you're saying? Yeah.
0: So yeah. she's 20, 21 months, 20, yeah. okay. 20
1: months right now. Yeah. So,
0: so, but like, so that was, I did put a lot of emphasis on foundation and man, I've got a really nice dog, like just a really nice family dog. If yeah. she never, if she never hunted, she'd make someone super happy like Jerry and I have joked about she's the she's and some of his dogs are they're the British lab equivalents of a setter like they, <laughs> they could be a hell of a family dog you know but they got this ability to, to hunt like crazy as well. mm-hmm. so I I I do think I do believe that but that's so I I wasn't crazy I, I took her on a lot of puppy walks I took her in the woods um more, more for myself probably than anything. I, I worried about it. I worried about it like crazy when she was little. Um, as soon as she'd get out of sight, I'm, I'm Mr. Panic, you know, because I'm not used to allowing, much less encouraging a dog to get out. I don't, yep. I didn't want that. And I thought, man, I know what she's capable of when she gets bigger. So, I kind of fought myself on the idea of letting her run. And if I did it again today, I would not I would have zero concern of it. Uh, let her go, let her do whatever she wants. Let her go. Yep. She's not, she's coming back yep. is, and I think part of the reason she's coming back is because of all the stuff we did in the yard, all the stuff we did that people say you shouldn't do with foundation, I think is what really makes our connection so strong and so, so good in the woods. I have zero concern with her running off. Um, I, I don't know that I have to run her on a GPS. I put her on a GPS collar at a certain point but it was only because i was running into a little bit of an issue with her she's i didn't even, i wasn't running a bell on her she was silent mm-hmm. in the woods and we're going through and she, you know this was at a point when she was getting a little bit older and she was moving pretty good then and she's like a stealth bomber in the woods and she'd come up on bedded deer i mean she 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 just she's so graceful and yep. she moves so well she'd come up on deer that were bedded in ferns and the deer would get up and run and she, she barks when she gets on and off game, she'll yep, yep, yep. So <laughs> I knew, I knew when it was a deer, I knew if it was a rabbit and, but I was running into this issue with deer and I, I really got concerned about it because I was thinking how in the hell am I going to stop this? And so I ended up, um, I bought a, I bought a GPS and I put it on her and I bought, I bought the Garmin, I bought a Garmin, um just, a, I think it's alpha 10. I think it's called. So I, didn't oh, yeah. wanna, I don't want to go in the woods and look at a screen. That's yeah. the last thing I want. So I use my map on my phone. Like I'll use on X on my phone quite often. Mm-hmm. That's enough technology for me. So I didn't want to be watching a, a, anything on a, on a dog training device. So I bought this little alpha thing that, that points and it tells you, how, it, you know, it points a direction and it tells you how how far away she is. So I did that and I, I took her into the woods and I, my fear was, am I going to have, cause every person I talked with that I said, you know, she's, she's kind of getting on off game and running and she liked it. I mean, she'd come back minutes later, just, I felt like hours later, but it was probably minutes, but, <laughs> and she's exhausted and she's just like, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what did you see? You know, I'd just love to have a GoPro on her at that point. But yeah. so, so I, you know, she'd come back and I was just sick about it. And I, every person I talked to said. And this is where I'm battling in my inside of me going, can I let her do that? Should I let her do that? How do I not let her do that? You know, what, what are my choices here? And everybody, you know, the answer was put her on a collar and knock the shit out of her, you know, really light her up when she gets, and she will stop doing that. And I thought, that's probably true, but that's not how I do it. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I was like, man. You know how risky that kind of sounds to me too. Like I don't know what's going on out there, and so I'm going to start putting electricity to her at a distance. No, I'm not going to do that. So, so first I bought this, this collar, and, and the first time I took her out with it, I put her on it, and, and I went, and we were training. And it was training season, and there were birds, and I'm looking. I mean, we are kind of scouting that at the same time, and we're training the dog and all. That. And she got on a deer, and and I knew it with the yips. And I, I had the ability to, I could have, I could have shocked her. Right. Like I I could push that button. I, she had the, she had prongs like this collar I bought actually was a training collar too. So you could put stimulation to it. And I, I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to do it. It, But I, but I looked at that little handheld thing and I watched the artage. And I saw the number just kept going, you know, 80, 100, 150, 175. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit. And, <laughs> but I, it got to like 200, yep. 220 maybe. And all of a sudden it's 180, 160, 140. And I'm sitting here going, well, she's coming back. And she came back and she looked the exact same that she had looked the dozens of times before. Mm-hmm. exhausted and i said to my, and i realized to myself my god she's been gone less than three minutes felt like 30 it was three felt like a thousand yards it was 200 and so all of a sudden i put it in my head and i went you know what she's not really doing that i, I don't mind her at 200 yards yeah like I, got, I had gotten to this comfort level of actually seeing her on the gps and realizing at 200 yards it's not terrible that's fine no She's back to you pref- in
1: fifteen seconds if she wants yeah, to. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And and I started to get an understanding of her cadence. Like I understand I started to understand her route, like the path she would take and and the timing of checking in. And and so it started it was all this idea of me just getting a little bit more comfortable with the whole big thing and taking a breath and going, It's really not that bad. And mm-hmm. what I when I when I looked down and she came back, I had this moment and I'm I'm not a I'm not like, I, I have faith. I have a strong faith and I think it's very important, but like, I'm not like, I can't recite Bible stuff to you. Right. So, but yeah. I have these moments in the woods, especially in the woods where I get kind of connected with God. I think, and I thought to myself, God, man, if I had listened to everybody, I would have I'd have smoked that little dog at a probably 130 yards.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and would it have been connected to the idea of chasing the deer? Perhaps maybe, but I looked down at her and I felt her collar and I realized one of those prongs was off. Like it had spun it, it had spun itself off. So I yeah. I just I just felt so silly at that point. And I thought, man, that's you telling me you don't need that. I really felt like he was saying to me, you didn't do it, you didn't do it on purpose, you learned from that, and you couldn't have done it even if you wanted to. And I feel like yeah. it was almost like a, you know, hey, if you believe in something, believe in it. And that's where it's like. To me, a setter, a pointing dog in general, but it, for me personally, it's a setter, is that is a very big t- test of my faith. Like, it really, you have to trust that dog. You have to get to a point where you truly trust him. And it's easy to say, yeah, you got to trust him. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're tested. And like, I think that we, for myself anyway, have been tested in ways of how much do you really believe in what you're saying you're gonna and and this was that was a real big moment for me where I sat there and I and then I kind of smiled and then I kind of laughed and then you look up and the sun's coming through the woods just right and you go oh there it is there's one of those little moments you know so but those those are things that I've had a whole bunch of those moments with this dog in a relatively short short period of time but um yeah it's it's the for me the 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 concern with developing a a well-behaved dog is and and still having a good bird hunting you know experience with them uh i don't worry about that i don't worry about that at all
1: but man isn't that the beauty of the gps caller though the the information i yeah. mean it's it's more for the amateur handler than than it is the dog right like it's right. just totally. just knowing watching that yardage go out and then start to come back to for sure. turn off the decision-making in your mind to say, Oh my gosh, I got to do something because my precious dog is beelining it for no, actually the dog is coming back to you right. chill out, relax. I mean, that's, right. that's been the biggest thing for me. And, and I was, I was way more apprehensive with, with Hartley, the first dog with Rose, way more hands off because I've been through it. I'd used mm-hmm. the Garmin GPS collar for years and man, it's, it's just, that is such a, such a valuable tool, just knowing, having that information. It's not the, it's not the training capability built or built in there, the the e-collar technology. It's the tracking technology. Yeah. That, yeah, that's I, it.
0: I, it was a, the, the greatest peace of mind. And it wasn't this idea of like, I think people say peace of mind with, yeah. for all the reasons to have collars and all that. For me, the when I say the peace of mind, it was like you just said. It was just having the information that I could, that I didn't have otherwise. And and for me, with with this first one, I needed that, and I I needed it. Um, you know, I I the you know, I some people probably wonder, well, how do you get the dog to stop chasing deer? <laughs> well, it was the easiest fucking thing I've ever done. I put a bell on her. I just put a bell on her, and and people go, what? And I, I wrote I wrote that because I wrote a little. I wrote yeah, a I, column about I read training. that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote this whole for one season. Um I, I captured basically the first year and did like six issues. And it was just the progression kind of I made no made notes of milestones of of training. And that was and I thought the value I hoped the value that came from it was me trying to write it as like a first first time person. I think it relates to people probably I mean it, those those things in in gundog the you know column especially because it's limited with space you can only write you know you only got so many words and the information in there isn't necessarily written directed towards a professional it's it's directed towards people like me who are training their first you know bird dog. so Mm. so that was hope that was the hope in that but i when i when i and i wrote about the idea of how i got her to stop chasing game was don't put her in position to chase game. And the way I did that was I put a bell on her when she went through the woods and all of a sudden the, the stealth bomber became a, a loud diesel pickup truck. Like she made noise going through the woods mm-hmm. and, and and game got out of the way and she's not going to track. Like she's not picking up, she's not chasing based on track. So you're not, she's not using scent to, to follow these deer because I know she smells them it was the stimulation of prey drive in her when she saw something flee she chased yeah. so i i picked you know that that was real clear to me and my my simple fix to it was that and i know some people say well that's not that's not foolproof no it's not no. i haven't had an issue but i haven't had an issue with it and i haven't had to put her into any situation that i wasn't comfortable with and so when when it comes to the training part so so for me, that was a really easy way. But now I, I I combine that with the idea of well, I can actually see the yardage. I do see the function for some if they're especially if they're hunting without a bell. Um, you know, if I didn't hunt with a bell, I don't know. I don't know how you'd find them half the time. You'd really have to get dialed into that dog, and you'd have to have a dog that could that that didn't hunt the way I want them to hunt. Like I want them to run a little bit bigger. That's yeah. that's my personal preference, and so. I could do it with a dog that was probably a lot closer working and I probably would enjoy that because I think boy that's an intimate hunt that's a real intimate relation with that dog I like the intimacy and connection with the dog at the distance and so I make a point of not not trying my best to not look at the my handheld which is where the bell was dual fold for me. There was nothing better for me than when I, and I don't know why it took so long to do it. Quite <laughs> honestly, I, I, I feel like I didn't know that there was really a reason to, I wasn't really losing her. She wasn't really getting out that far. I just didn't really feel like I needed it. And then all of a sudden one day she took that step and she decided I'm going to, I'm going to put a little more out there. And once you get to a certain point, I don't know where you are. I don't know how far you are. And all of a sudden you pop up over here and I go, where were you in between there? So now when I did put the bell on with the intentions of fixing, trying to fix off game issues, I fell in love with the idea of following a bell. There's nothing better to me than that sound. I I absolutely love it. And it tells me personally, I think it tells me more than my GPS. Like I get way more information out of it. And And I love the feel of, man, they did that a hundred years ago too. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like, I kind of like, I'm a little old fashioned in that way. (laughs) And I mean, I still like going to supper clubs, right? So it's, it's, it's this, it's this mindset thing of doing it that old way and doing it, you know, doing it without a collar for me. I really enjoy that. I really, really like that.
1: Yeah. I I read your comments on the bell and I did want to, Touch on that because I, I mean, I, I would agree on every facet there. It's, I think there's an idea. There's sometimes an idea like, oh, I have a GPS collar. I don't need a bell. You know, that you there's kind of that built-in thing. But once you do it and and sort of if you've never tried a bell, try it. In the Grouse Woods specifically, I think that's where Mm -hmm. it really applies. But elsewhere too. But when I go out west of the Prairie, I don't run a bell on my dogs. It's just you don't Mm -hmm. need it in the same way. But the visual map that the bell paints in your mind to know that my dog is to my left my dog is to my right versus when they're running quiet i mean i i know you've had it happen i've had it happen friends dog i always have a bell on my dogs i hunt with dogs that don't have a bell you see them over here and the next time you see them they're on the other side and you had no idea that they that they crossed over in front of you i there's a safety element there i mean do it how you want to do it, but I value the real time feedback that I get from the bell more much more so than I would any sort of quiet or silence and 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 again mm-hmm. you can play around with bells you can run loud ones quiet ones I run pretty mm-hmm. soft bells so they're not uh they're not super aggressive but i and and especially when a dog is close, you hear that bell stop instantly so you know if you've got a yeah. close point whereas you're there's a little delay with the gps i mean those things those things play in it's not necessarily a a decision maker one way or the other. But f- when you look at the entire picture of what a bell brings to the hunt for me, I mean, there's no other way to do it really. Yeah. The,
0: when you say how it, you
1: can hear it when it stops, you also can tell when they stop just to check in
0: because it's slowing down. Yeah. Or, Cause it yeah. sounds different. 100%. I, I think that when you start looking at like all training, I, I think training is such a thing where you can, you can the deeper you get into it, the further you go with it, the more you pay attention to really small details. But like, couldn't you say that about everything? And so the idea of like the bell, I I love two bells. I love it when there's like these cover dog trials, you're running, you know, you're running braces of two dogs. And there's a whole there's I, I it doesn't even have to be my dog. I can just be walking the brace and kind of observing. And Grouse trials are not a spectator sport. You don't see, you don't see shit. Like it's terrible. You don't, but it's all audible. And so I don't have to be in front necessarily because I'm not missing much anyway, but when you start hearing two, two different bells, and then you're starting to pay attention to the different bell takes a different pattern and that dog pushes this and does that, this, you start to understand, like, you know how it is. You, you, you walk woods, especially woods that, you know, you know where there's areas that are better than others mm-hmm. and you know, when you're coming up on them and you, you start to like, you, 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 you got the routine, you memorize the routine cause you've done it so many times and you know what to expect. When you hear the bell, I actually made prog. I felt like I understood the progress of my dog a little bit as we continued because I'd hear the bell go into an area and I knew what that area was. Like the bell moved over to here and it drifted and now it's over here and I go, there's a swamp over there. There's yeah. an edge right there. And uh, and it hangs up and it stays there for a while. And I'm going, man, my dog's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I also could say she's over here and there's a pine forest or something that she's, there's no reason for her to be in it. Why is she over here? And I go, because I know that woods and I know that bell and I know that she's fooling around in there. So that might get me on my whistle, to beep, beep. And now all of a sudden I hear the bell and I go, oh, she responded right to that little peep. Yep. And so it's just a, it's an extension of us, I think, as handlers um, as much or more than it is just a tool, you know, like it, it, I just, it gets me excited. I mean, I get kind of pumped talking about this stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And it's, yeah, that, like you said, even if you call the dog, the bell's going to tell you. That that the dog is responding immediately or yeah. not responding. You know, it's it's for hands sure, fr- yeah. it's hands free. It's eyes free. It allows mm-hmm. you to look at the GPS screen whether it's your handheld or on your watch, like I run. Allows you to look at that less. I really really value that, and obviously you do too.
0: Isn't it part of the fall? I mean, it doesn't. It kind of. It's like one of those things where you smell you ser- you smell certain things. Decaying aspen leaves yep. smell a very certain way. It only happens for a short window of time. Mm. So like. The bell is also this sensory thing for me of enjoyment. When you start talking about why do we grouse hunt? What's well, all these things? And that's one of them. Like it's the sound. That sound is like,
1: pff, it's awesome. I, I don't know if you, I, I put up a little clip on Instagram last week of a, of a hunt with Hartley. And I mean, I can play that clip and I just hear his Dude, bell. Like I heard that all. Flowing. It's, yep. it's, yeah, man. that's it's, uh, I know. It definitely brings you to the moment
0: yeah for sure and that's 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 another that's you know that's something that I don't my labs I don't run you know i never have i never I've never run a bell this is the first time I've ever run a dog on a bell and um I wouldn't need to on with them because I don't really lose lose the vision of them but this is this is something that's you know it adds to it for me yeah
1: I was gonna say you know there 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 may very well be something in the water down at northwood's bird dogs because your comments about the connectedness that you feel with Makina. Uh, I would echo those. And I think that's, you know, it's a, it's, it's what a good dog should be. But like I, when I, the confidence and the trust that I have in my dogs to stay with me as I really independently move through the wood, it's amazing. I, I almost, if I stop and, think about it how do they stay with me so well when i'm really not consciously focusing on them and i'm just i'm going through the cover the way i want to go through the cover where i think there's birds and you know like you said some places we've been to before and it's amazing how quickly they put those pieces together and figure out the spots they found birds last time but even in new spots the their their ability to stay with you and and be connected to you is it's incredible
0: yes and i I think you're right. And I think the Northwoods dogs, that is, that's one of the reasons I get them. I I will say too, though, so this is the benefit of the field trial, the limited field trial experience that I've seen. And when I say field trial cover dog stuff, I, I, it has become so clear to me that it's one of the greatest benefits of me going to these and spending time around them and the people and helping as much as I can with them to, I'm really kind of, I'm gaining, I'm gaining so much from it. And what I, what you see is you see a wide spectrum of dogs and mm-hmm. handlers from all sorts of breedings, all sorts of styles. Also, I mean, a variety of breeds even in all sorts of handling. And you really start to pick out. It, it's not hard to pick out those that stand out in certain ways. And, and it's not just a Northwoods dog. There are certain breedings of, of other kennels that I can, I, I've only, I've only watched for, I've watched them for about a year and a half now. Yeah. This will be my second year, but I can pick out dogs and the way they move and the way they act and the way they work with people and go, I'll ask, or I'll look at the brochure because I want to make a little note of where'd that Mm -hmm. dog come from? Who's that dog out of? Because they, they, some dogs really have it. And then some dogs you look at and you go, okay, I see the breeding. I, I know where, and then you watch it and you go, there's none of that. Well, it's missing with the handler. So a lot of times it's just missing with the handler. Sure. dog. And so it's the balance. It's, it is the balancing act of, you know, it's not all genetic. It's not all handler. And I don't care how good you are. You have to have whether you're on the dog's end or the handler's end you have to have both sides in this and that to me is like oh i love that yeah it's it really it really is um it's cool to watch because it it, you don't have to pay attention too deep and too long for stuff to stand out yeah when it comes to that stuff
1: so something else i wanted to at least go through a little bit before we wrap up here was I was reading one of your columns in that at some point in the last year in gundog and you were talking about I think it was Makina's first hunt and I think if I recall this correctly you had her on the ground with your labs and she was off in the distance and and you you took a shot at a grouse that your lab flushed and I I don't know if you (laughs) bagged it but but you know you you were you were sort of alluding to this idea, like, Oh, you know, be careful shooting wild flush birds and all this stuff that I've, you know, again, gone through. And I'm just kind of curious as to like what your, your thought process was there. And, and I kind of have an idea of of what the end result was, which is about nothing, but. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, so yeah, (laughs) I, I went through all of these. And and I think there's so many of these scenes and wives tales and, and things (laughs) that are, you know, you know, never let your dog, Never let your dog catch a pigeon, right? I mean, we've heard that. Don't let him catch a bird on the ground. Yeah. And and when she was young, I put a bird out and she caught it. <laughs> she pointed it for a split second. She caught it. She killed it. She carried it off. She ran away with it. Then she finally brought it back to me. And like, and I was devastated by it because I realized at that point I wrecked my dog. I knew I had totally screwed this thing up because everything I had heard said that. And, and then I was afraid to tell anybody about it. I went over and I saw Jerry, we worked our dogs. He, he helped me immensely with confidence and in just being able to kind of move past some of those things that I was hung He didn't even know about it, but at the end of that day, I felt pretty good because he had helped me set me up to succeed here with, with her and some Mm. planted birds. And we're sitting at the truck, and I told him about that bird. And I said, hey, I got to be honest with you. I, I, she caught a pigeon, you know, and he looked at me. He didn't even react. He kind of <laughs> smiled. And I go, no, I mean, like, she caught it and killed it and, like, ran off with it and brought it back. And he goes, huh, might have been the best thing that ever happened to her. And I, I, I thought I, I was floored, and I, I said, What? What what do you mean? And he goes, That could have been, you know, I don't I wouldn't have a problem with that. That might have been the best thing. Might have really started to fire up a little bit. That's mm-hmm. not the worst thing in the world. And I said, Well, not that's not what everyone says. And he goes, you can't be. you gotta you gotta realize like that, it's not all set in stone, right? So no. now with these that was one example. Now that first I, I took her her first hunt and my nephew was with actually, and we I had my labs with and we were were working and I, it was the first, it was the first weekend and I'm a little, you know, I'm a little bit excited. I want to, I want to shoot bird, you know? And, And so I'm a hunter and, and we went and we worked and the first bird actually that, that I shot that day, um, she was nowhere around it. You know, she was off and she was off hunting. She had no idea it happened. The bird flushed on the trail, uh, right in front of us, flew down the trail. I shot it. My dog ran out, picked it up, brought it back. And I was pumped because I, oh, we've got a bird, you know? And, but then I started thinking about it and going, oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be here with this (laughs) setter and all this stuff. And I had just coming off of weeks and weeks and weeks of running this dog in the woods and walking up on points and stuff and really kind of got into that preseason training and was excited about how I'm going to transition it into hunting. And so that was the first bird. Later that day, we're going down a different trail and she kind of got birdie and she kind of went on point a little bit and it was yeah, not no, nothing solid. And then all of a sudden a bird flushed to my left and flew across these raspberries and I shot and it went down and my dog went and retrieved it and brought it back to me. And I got two, I got two grouse on opening day. And I'm, and my nephew hadn't got a shot off yet. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking to myself, holy shit, am I feeling guilty? Because not only did my nephew not get a shot yet, yeah, I really should be working on getting him something, but, I'm sure I just shot the first two grouse at an opportunity yet. And my setter who I'm really excited about hunting with this year hasn't had a chance to point any of them. And <laughs> there's two less of them right now. And so I had this little moment where I said, how committed are you to this? You know, and it was really, uh, uh, and it wasn't like it was, I, I realized we had a long season ahead of us and everything, but it really, I really did have to think about it and go, do you want what do you want to do? Do you just want to shoot birds? Because if you want to just shoot birds, you could do that. But I don't think that's going to be necessarily the best route to developing her the way I really had intentions to. But now you're in the moment. So it's really easy to say that in June and July and, and in the spring when you're running them on, you know, it's very easy to see that, say that in the spring. But now you got a gun in your hand. And I love eating them. And I love everything about, I love holding them. I love plucking them. I love hanging their little fans on my, in my hunting room. No, I like all no. that stuff. But I had to say, you know, how committed are you? And this goes back to, this kind of goes back to this idea of like, there's a true test at times. Dogs test us. Are, are, we find out very quickly if we're full of shit or not, because they're going to put you in positions and you have to make decisions. And at that after that, I, I sat around the campfire that night. I cleaned those birds and and I said, no, I'm not gonna do that anymore. You know, I'm not not intentionally. And so and it was intentional <laughs> that first day. I wanted to shoot those birds. And so I did. And I got that out of my system. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But I, I did have to at a point say, and that was the point for me. How how serious are you? And that was where I was, okay, well, I'm gonna hold out. I'm gonna wait. If the dog if a bird flushes, I'm not gonna shoot at it. And that's not to like sound like some big grouse hunter. I, it killed, it would kill me, yeah. you know, to miss an out. Cause I don't have that many opportunities and I don't shoot no. that many birds, but it had to be, it, it, to me, it was the, the reward or the value of it was greater. Um, and, and, and that's how I kind of did it the rest of the season and it didn't take long. I mean, we, we had, you know, the next weekend, um, and this was in September, you know, this was when it was really thick and everything. And yeah. and she was doing great. And, um, I've shot a pointed, I shot a pointed grouse over her the next weekend. And okay. I was just like, and I was like, Oh, so mind blown. It was like catching a fly on, uh, catching a trout on a fly for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't caught a lot of them that way, but the, <laughs> I'll never forget the first one. And, and the, the, the difference in catching a trout on a fly versus a, trout on a spinner or or, you know with a spinning rod yeah it's it's the same trout but it really feels different and and it feels so good and I was like wow this is and I was almost I almost had to pinch myself a little bit too because going into the season I had this goal in mind and my goal was shoot a pointed grouse like shoot one good pointed grouse like it's got to be good And here I am second week, it's still September. And I did it. And I go, what the hell now? Well, that set me up because then I was like, man, I'm going to expect this every weekend. And we went through, we went through a lot of ups and downs. We had some really good stuff, but boy, we had some miserable things too, as far as like performance. Yeah. But it was all part of it. And I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't wait to do it again with another dog, but here I am I'm going into my second season and now we're trying to steady you know taking the chase away a little bit and this has been fun and this has been exciting to do and it's going to take another you know another level of commitment once hunting season starts once I go into the woods how committed am I going to be to saying you can't chase because it could be really easy to uh, kind of let that slip a little bit and then I'll have a little gut check with you know we'll talk with myself and say well and that that's all stuff that Everybody, I think, goes through, yep. um, and I don't think there's a wrong way of doing it. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying the way I did it is right. Maybe. Maybe it isn't. It, a lot of times it isn't, and and that's okay because I just uh, posted something about the process of this breaking. People call it breaking dogs, and I I hate the idea of breaking dogs. I, I just think it take,
1: carries a a bad mindset going into it. Right? And so and, yeah, words, words mean different things in different, yeah. you know, versus saying like, something like steady, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so I do try to like, I try to try to, I, I think about a lot of that stuff. So with, as I'm going into this, I, I have found that oftentimes the mistakes or the, the, the struggles, the challenges, the things that don't go so well, um, are, are Mostly because of me, almost always. I maybe could say always because of me. And they're not bad. They're actually probably the best thing that can happen most of the time. Is be, But only if you learn from it. Only if you change. Yeah. Only if you do something different. And that takes a, again, that takes a different, a different you have to look at it differently. Um, instead of, because I'm guilty of like getting frustrated at times with the things that aren't going so well. And if... And when I'm ready to take a look at it and go, instead of being frustrated, get through that part. I, we all go through it differently. I get through that frustration, and and hopefully I'm doing it a little bit quicker these days. But And then realize, all right, now I have to kind of break it down and, and try to understand why. And then change it and try it again and change it and try it again. And then the more you do it, the less change you got to do, the less... The less adjustments need to be made, you find you kind of dial in it a little bit, and that ta- that'll just take time for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean there's some great little nuggets in there. Just you know, again, when you're when you're newer to something, and you know, whether it's your first pointing dog or any number of other things, like the highs feel high and the lows feel low, right? But it's you you get a little more perspective and you realize like you got a young dog still. You're gonna have ups mm-hmm. and downs and less consistency the importance is to kind of as much as you can sort of maintain your composure and not get too high on the highs and not get too low on the lows just like yeah. things are gonna work itself out and you've been like you know in all of our conversation on both of these that like that's real consistent like patience is one thing that it, it comes yeah. up it, because again with patience comes perspective and with perspective comes just a much better ability to see what's see what's going on and and some things you just got to learn. You just got to go through right. it and, and learn it the hard way. And, and we usually learn those lessons pretty well. Yeah,
0: most things, I think. You know, that's yeah. one thing that Jerry, one thing that Jerry Coulter has, has, and Jerry Hobble too. Jerry, I went to by Jerry this spring yeah. and, and saw him and I picked up different stuff from him. And I, I, the more people you can find yourself around, like those guys, the better you're going to be. But like, I feel like, and I wrote about this recently for the, for the Jerry Coulter column. It's his level of consistency as far as how he handles things. You don't know if it, you don't know if the, do- when you watch him work a dog, you don't know if the dog's doing great or mm-hmm. the dog is doing poor because he doesn't change much. Yep. And and the, that's a real stable leader. Like that, when you start talking about mechanics of a dog and a pack mentality and all that, it's a really stable leader and people f- have a tendency to follow pe- stability, like they, things like stability. So, it, myself included and so with him I watched this I watch this levelness and I recognize and it makes me think about how come well years and years of experience I don't get too worked up with a Labrador I mean we can have a good session or a bad session and I don't think too much of it because I'm thinking about more so what will we do next time because we I'm going to learn from this one I'm going to take the good stuff and move on I'm going to figure out the stuff that we struggle with and change it a little bit. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back and fix that or work on that a little bit the next session. So I'm, I'm just thinking about that. And I'm, I'm pretty level with that. But when it comes to the setter, I, I when I have a bad session, I'm, Oh boy, what, what, what now what, you know, almost yeah. pa- not, not quite panic, but pretty freaking close at times getting closer. <laughs> yeah. And, and with him, it's like, he's seen it all he's not worried about like when when the if if the dog catches the pigeon for him he may look at that and go he might hell he might set it up intentionally to catch the pigeon for all i know because he goes this dog needs that that dog needed the dog was a little flat that dog needed to needed to get a bird in its mouth so but here i am going i might have just wrecked my dog and and he, but he he is is just he's got a a, a levelness about his personality that I think is very important for trainers to have. And it allows, it allows them to get through things and enjoy it a lot more. And why not, why do this if you don't enjoy it? If I didn't like training dogs, I wouldn't be very good at it because why would I want it? You got to. And so the more, the better it goes, the smoother it goes, the more you enjoy it, the more you enjoy it, the more you do it. It's a very snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And, but you can't, you can't just purchase experience like I can't go to the store and get it and so that'll just take a while and um I I do think there's value my hope with it is there's value in sharing like this conversation you and I this probably isn't going to teach a pro much like they're not going to get
1: a whole lot out of this they're probably going
0: to shake their other than other than what
1: what guys like you and I are thinking you know like where where are we stumbling
0: right. (laughs) right 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 and so there's not there's not a whole lot of there's probably not a whole lot of value in it for them. But for me, if I had listened to this conversation prior to getting her or not having much, you know, maybe one or two setters and not, not that into it. I think it would be important to hear this. And you're not going to hear Jerry Coulter in an interview with you talk about this stuff because this stuff is off of his radar 30 years ago.
2: Exactly. He's going
0: he, And your questions to him aren't going to be that way. Like, and so there's a little bit of a missing, there's a little bit of a missing um, element that ties it all together. And I I hope that with some of our our with some of the stuff that we're trying to do through through our social media, through our training library, through our content stuff, because if if, if you peel off the layers, the bird dog part is the part that I go, ooh man, I'm wading through really unfamiliar waters here. And I'm probably real relatable to some people. If you want to talk about like teach your dog to come to you when you call him and have him healed and do some of this foundation stuff, you can watch a a video of ours that we do these workshops where there's 17 different breeds from all across the country and has nothing to do with Labradors, has nothing to do with comfort of training retrievers. It's a dog is a dog and the foundation. It's called a foundation workshop. The foundation is the same doesn't vary that greatly. And so that stuff is a very different ball of wax for me than this idea of steadying a dog to the wing and shot. Like, holy man, Google that. And you're going to see a lot of pros show you how to do it, but none of them are going to tell you the stories I got. None of them are going to share. None of them are going to show you the video of my dog. Cause just recently I took this from Jerry Hovel's place because they do this. They do this setup with a bird where it represent rep, replicates kind of a crippled bird, which is, trying to lure allure their dog
1: away from yeah, the Yeah for the woodcock so, banding stuff. Yep. Yeah.
0: So they're they're tethering off this bird. So the bird comes out of the launcher, hits the ground, flops around, gets up, reflushes, and the dog's gotta be steady through that. So that's very different than just launching a bird out of the out of the launcher and having it fly away. I got no problem with that. I'm we're we're there. Well mm-hmm. some people would watch that video that I bring the dog in, she points, I kick around, flush the bird, she goes off, I shoot the gun. She's Finally, she's, I'm not even getting her feet to move. Like she's, she's really doing a nice job with that. And a lot of people would say, oh, you got her broke, you know, not even close because the first time I did this little bird that comes up and hits the ground, she went in like a missile and to, to, to catch that pigeon. And it happened like three, four times in a row. And I'm sitting here with my phone and I'm filming it. Now I haven't posted any of that stuff yet. I will because that's the stuff you will not see. I can't find anybody on YouTube showing that stuff. I see the stuff that we're doing good. And I start to think to myself, Oh, I must have it. No, we don't have it. And it's going to remind, I'm going to be reminded of it at the absolute worst time. So you, I hope that some of the stuff that we're showing is there's a, a value of transparency. I think in stuff, it puts yep. a little bit of risk on our part. Cause I look like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, and I, the beauty of it for me is I'll just tell you, I don't know what I'm doing and then it doesn't really bother me that much. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm figuring it out. And I think that you combine that with the guys that have shown the more polished version of it. That's hopefully somewhere in the middle of nothing and finish somewhere in the middle is where, where we hope to be. But yeah, once again, like, I don't like to be on extremes one way or the other you know i'm always trying to get in that middle
1: yeah no i i appreciate that and you know it's one of those things that i i've throughout this whole me doing this podcast i've always it's been a constant thing where i've always wanted to have people with lots of experience on the show and people with little experience because it's a common thing in learning where you know how much can i actually absorb in a given session with somebody like Jerry Coulter, who's got decades of experience. Whereas my questions might, I might be better off talking to somebody who's two, three years down the line and, and talk to them both, right? Like, right, like you right. can learn from them both, but having conversations from people at sort of different points on the spectrum or the timeline can be really helpful and valuable. And that's where, where a conversation like this comes in. And, and I, I mean, I think in, into like right now 2023 with all of the different content channels and things we have we have all the information we could ever hope to have it's helpful to have people's transparency is very valuable yeah. like like you said it's it's hey i don't know exactly what i'm doing but here's what i'm trying to do and sure. when this happens here's how i'm trying to fix it that's how that's how i learn at least i i value that sort of thing if i'm watching a youtube video or learning something so i don't necessarily care what your resume is but what, are, what are you trying to do? And then what are, what are we doing to address the problem when something goes wrong? Right. And I, I
0: want to be super clear with that. Like I, uh, and that's, that is something that, you know, I, I don't claim, I won't claim to be an expert at any of this stuff because I, and that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of spending time around a variety of people. I've, I've talked to some people that have not done some of these things very long And you would swear they know everything because they tell tell you they know everything. They've done it all. They've seen it all. And I just, I've probably said the same shit 10 years ago (laughs) and I kick myself going, man, I hope you didn't sound like that. But as, as I get the more I, the the further I get down the road, the more I'm realizing how very little I know and how much more there is to learn and how I'm going to learn it is doing it. And you know, I, Jerry is a great, type. we talk a lot about Jerry because <laughs> it's, you know what, deservingly so. Right? Yeah. And, and so with him, I have also picked up this idea of, I don't know a guy that is more hungry to learn than him. It, it sounds crazy. Yeah. He, he, he has asked me questions about stuff that I cannot understand why he asked them to me. And one day I wrote this, I wrote about this too, because early on, you know, it's like you're kind of, your first date, you're not real comfortable, right? Like you're kind of feeling each other out a little bit. Sure. And so the first time, the first few times, I'm trying to not, I'm trying to watch, you know, what I say and I'm not, we're just, I'm just not as comfortable. I'm way more comfortable talking to you this time than I was last time. I don't know if you can tell, but I am. And so when I first... Started going to see him and and work with him a little bit. It was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. It was awkward, and he would ask me questions about stuff. I'd tell him something about what I'm doing. How come? Why? You know. He he kind of drilled me a little bit, and I was intimidated as hell. And he very quickly he read that, and he I, he did say to me, "I'm not asking you like to challenge you. I'm curious in why you're doing it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me why you're doing it, because he said I, I. hear people say shit all the time. It doesn't matter to me what they say. I want to know why. And so I've, I. He, so I'm like, st- I'll steal that one. There's we talked last time about the barnacles. That's a barnacle that stuck. Oh yeah. So now oh, yeah. like I'm asking questions. So he, his the the reason the the way he approaches everything and the amount of information he's digesting and all this stuff that. He, he is he is the he is very much a lifelong learner and when it comes to dogs which is clearly his his passion he just wants to keep learning more about it and i'm going to myself if he feels like he needs to learn more there is never there's nobody else out there that doesn't need to so i think it's a little bit of a red flag for me when i when i find those and i i enjoy hearing people tell me how sometimes how much they know and all that because sure. I take it with a bit of a grain of salt and it's a little bit of a, you know, okay. I, I, I need, I, I need to learn from that, you know? And like, and I think we all can probably think back in our minds a little bit and be like, Oh, I remember a conversation with so-and-so and that I know what he's saying. It's out there. It's out there. And it's like, boy, I, did, I feel so strongly about it now. It's like, don't, don't do that. Don't be that guy. You know, cause that that's not who you who you're after. Be follow, you know, follow the Jerry's. Jerry Havel has a great I learn a lot from him and I laugh at him and he's hilarious and he but he's but then he'll break it down all of a sudden real serious on something and I'll go, How did I miss that? you know and like good better best. That was the thing I took away from him. Was like good better good better best, good, better best. And he just kept I saying can it hear him then, saying it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love it. <laughs> I say it to myself all the time. I think about it going into training. And it's like the beauty of it too, Nick, is that there's guys like that out there that are willing to and want to, I think, share yeah. it. And it's like, man, what a gift. What a what a what an awesome thing to be able to share. So I I um that's that's where I'm at with it is like, man, just keep learning stuff.
1: Yeah. No doubt, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, and the two Jerry's that came up numerous times in this episode are, they're both, uh, both, uh, uh friends of mine. And so I absolutely, uh, would agree with the sentiment that they've, I've learned a lot from both of those guys and, and hope to continue to do so. So we'll leave it there, but you do have, you have been leaning into some, some videos and stuff with Makina. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what kind of, just like real briefly, we're going to wrap up here, but like what sort of topics, what sort of things if folks want to go see, see what you're doing with Makina on the YouTube channel, what are they going to find? We recorded
0: everything. From, the, from when I picked her up at eight weeks old until now, we recorded it all. So like it's it's sessions, um, it's training sessions. It's We documented that first year, basically was through her hunt, first hunting season. And it actually includes hunting. Like we, we brought cool. a camera in the woods last year. So that, that's on YouTube. The hard part about YouTube is, is it's so challenging to watch a series like that because it just doesn't present itself very easily. And so and the the actual sheer amount of hours is great. It's a lot of hours. So what our guys did Ben and and Logan they took that season basically season 1 and they re-edited it. They combined like multiple like a series of videos that were about foundation. They they trimmed out the shit you really don't need to see because it was just so candid. They took that stuff. Yeah, and they created <laughs> a, a a a more a better package. And a lot easier to follow along. So those are not that version is in what we call our training library, which is like a subscription thing on our website. Okay. And then, so that's where season one is, and that's where season two is going. So all of our season two is being edited that way instead of the way we did it on YouTube. You can still watch it on YouTube. Season one, it's just it's just a lot. It's there's I don't know probably forty hours of it total. Wow. But it's covering from like eight weeks old to through November, which was you know that first season in the woods for her. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about the way we're doing it now. I just think it's a lot more effective for people to get value out of it, and that that. And then it's there's a whole bunch of other stuff that training library has right now. I think we're up to 127 hours of video on it, and it's, we add to it weekly. So Makina series gets added to on it. Uh, I've got two lab puppies that we're training right now. Those are going to get started to get added to it. Um, it's got all of our DV, we have like training DVDs, that's all included in it. So the library just has a whole bunch of, whole bunch of information ranging from obedience to track blood tracking dogs and everything in between. So, uh. um, that's, that's where, that's where you'll probably find, but YouTube you, dog hunters are YouTube and that's where that original Makina is as well.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, for the training library, if somebody was dog, one Find yep. it there.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right on our first page there. You can, you it'll make you pick. You're either going to go to products or you're going to go to information. It's called the training library.
1: Cool. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks for taking some time to come back on the Birdshot Podcast and talk a little bit more English setters and grouse hunting. Yeah. This was, this was fun as always. And, uh, just keep in touch, man. We, uh, we could, we could always find an excuse to meet up again in a couple months or so in the grouse I woods.
0: Would, I would say it probably makes a lot of sense to do it. So <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do that for sure
1: awesome buddy well you have a great rest of your summer you and the dogs keep uh, keep conditioning and and fall is just around the corner my friend thank you same to you guys take, take care, care. Man.